All right, everybody. Starting uh, the third book of the pastoral epistles, Titus. We got a new young man to learn about this evening. We went from First and Second Timothy, where we looked at the Lord speaking through Paul to Timothy, to the church, instructing really the um, synopsis of First and Second Timothy is sound doctrine. We heard that over and over again, every chapter, the reading and teaching of the Bible. Titus is going to continue that same thing, but he adds order, church order to sound doctrine. There's going to be a real emphasis that on that in these short three chapters that we have. And tonight, you're going to want to have more, but we're only going to do an introduction. So it's going to be the first four verses of the book of Titus. There is so much in these first four verses, you're going to wish I spent more time on it. But that's going to be your study, your study time at home. Titus is written at the same time as 1 Timothy. And so Paul is out and about after his first imprisonment, and he is in Corinth and writing. First Timothy sends it off, writing to Titus, and sends it off. These personal letters to his sons in the faith. Now Titus is different than Timothy. They have so much in common, and yet they're so different. Titus is a Greek. He's a Gentile. In fact, in Galatians, there's a big argument in the church where Paul refuses to have Titus circumcised. And he has Timothy, who is Jewish through his mother. He has him circumcised. It's like, well, wait, 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 what's the difference? How come this guy has to go through this procedure and this guy doesn't? Paul says we have to be all things to all people. He was going to use Timothy to go into the church into the synagogue, to Jerusalem even, and to preach to Jews first and then the Gentiles. But he's saying, listen, it's very important, Gentile believers, to know you don't have to go through all this stuff to be a believer. It's through Christ alone. So he refuses to touch Titus. Titus was willing. He says, no, we're not going to do that. It's a bad example. Timothy and Titus are both very close to Paul. Even though they have different backgrounds, you may read from time to time that some people infer from the scriptures that Timothy needs to be encouraged a lot, so he must have been the more sensitive guy. And Titus, he doesn't get much encouragement in his letter. He must not be. Uh, in my personal opinion, that's all belagna. That's just slang for baloney. I don't. I have had times in my life where I've needed a lot of encouragement. I've had times where I needed to be humbled a little bit anti-encouragement. I needed to be uh, put in my proper place. I've had times where I've been a little bit more sensitive. I have times where I'm not so sensitive. I don't think that you can really read into these one letters that much about these guys' personalities. Uh, There's a lot of biblical scholars that are much, much smarter than I am, and maybe I'm wrong. But at least that's the application that I get from it. But let's go to the Scriptures And let's see what Paul writes about Titus. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says, Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, and I also took Titus with me. This is interesting because Titus is not mentioned at all in the book of Acts. 
which shows us that in the book of Acts is not a complete history of the church. It's only showing the major characters, the major events that are relevant at that time. And some believe it's because it's a legal brief for Paul the Apostle himself, a defense in Rome. I don't know if that's true or not. But we have a great um, picture of what's happening in the church at that time, but not everything that's going on at the church at that time. Listen to this in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. It says, Nevertheless, God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. Man, this guy was a breath of fresh air when he shows up. Now, Titus actually delivered the second letter to the Corinthians to the Corinthian church. He brought it himself. In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes again about him in chapter 8. But thanks be to God who puts the same earnest care for you into the heart of Titus. For he not only accepted the exhortation, but being more diligent, he went to you of his own accord. This guy, he's not just talk. This guy. He's faithful. He has the fruit of salvation. He sticks with Paul. He's also a guy that Paul sends out on missions, like Timothy. He is ready to send this guy out on the hard missions, the important missions. You know, I'm willing to separate with you, Titus, even though you're such a great help, because I know you're so valuable, I need to send you off. These are the kinds of people that we want to be as Christians. We want to be entrusted in ministry. We want to be uh, people in ministry, men and women, that when you're uh, sent off, you're sending our best. Or when we are entrusting a ministry, the work of God, we're entrusting you to accomplish something, it's because you're faithful. And we, we have no um, reservation, yes. Uh, Miss Jane, Mr. Smith, when I entrust this person with this message from God, it's going to be done well. It's going to be done as unto the Lord. It's going to have the fruit of the Lord. It's going to represent him well. And that's what we do here in this fellowship. When we entrust people with worship or greeting or uh, just cleaning up or with our children or with the nursery, we, we are entrusting you with the message of the gospel. And for the people in this fellowship, it's always refreshing. Just like it was refreshing to receive Titus. Oh man, when Titus showed up, it was refreshing. It's so refreshing when we see the work of God working in people. Well, you may be saying, well, I don't get used for anything. Does that mean that I'm not being entrusted? No, 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 no. There are many times when the Lord has a time of preparing, of setting apart. Let's take Paul himself. When Paul... On the road to Damascus, the Lord spoke to him. The Lord told him his mission, and then he separated him for a time in the deserts of Arabia where Jesus ministered to him personally. Moses was to lead God's people, but for 40 years after his exile, God was just preparing him before he brought him back to the nation of Israel. There's example after example. Elijah in the brook used in a great way before the the evil king and queen, and then God's hiding him in a ravine, feeding him with ravens. You may feel like that in ministry. I'm being put aside. I'm being spoon-fed. This is beneath me. I'm not being used. No, far be it. Far be it. The important thing is that we serve the Lord. And wherever the Lord has us, we need to work as unto unto the Lord. Titus is that guy.
And then Titus gets his toughest assignment. The book of Titus is written to him when he is a pastor in the island of Crete. The Cretans are the worst of biker gang types that you can imagine. Not the good Christian bikers guys that you see at the men's fellowship. Those guys are just like a bright light. No, these are the guys where you see them parking next to you at the restaurant. You lock your doors and you wait a few minutes. The Cretans were known in the Bible. We're going to see it here in, in Titus. Paul's going to have some vivid language for them. Also in extra biblical sources, they are notorious for being liars, cheaters, extortioners, to being uh, party animals. That's where Titus is ministering. And he ministers there faithfully for years, decades. In fact, church history tells us that Titus dies peaceably in Crete after years of faithful service to my people, because that's how uh, I grew up. That's the background that I come from, the worst of the worst. Well, I've whet your appetite. Let's read verses 1 through 5. I've got a bonus verse. I said 1 through 4, but verses 1 through 5. Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began but has in due time manifested his word through preaching, which was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior. To Titus, a true son in our common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. Verse 5. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking. And appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. And so we're going to cut off right there. You may notice verse 1 is a run-on sentence. There is so many things packed on in verses 1 through 3. But notice there is no period. Everything is connected. And it's so easy to just try and highlight certain portions of this, but it all works together. We have gone through in many of Paul's introductions the bondservant of God, where he introduces himself as a slave, a servant by choice to God. What I have failed to mention, though, is back in the Old Testament, when you became a bondservant, if you were a Hebrew, you could be released after seven years, the year of Jubilee. And after the year of Jubilee, if you chose to stay as a bondservant, you would take your ear, the master would take your ear, go to the door, and he put an all through it. It was a symbol that you have chosen to stay and to serve even though you're free. Paul saying, I'm a bond servant. I have chosen to follow my master, Jesus Christ. As an apostle, the word apostle just means sent one of Jesus Christ. Then he continues, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth, which accords with godliness. We're going to take this little bit by little bit. When he says according to the faith of God's elect, he is not teaching Calvinism. Calvinism doesn't show up until many, many centuries later. 
When he says according to the faith of God's elect, he's saying that if you have faith, you're God's elect. You're his chosen people. So this is where things get tricky and where Arminians and Calvinists both get angry at people that have the same position as myself. The Arminius says that you can lose your salvation at any moment and you can gain it back at any moment by your choice, by faith. So if you sin, you're not saved. You have to confess your sin and then you're saved again and so on and so forth and so on and so forth and everything is our free will. You have complete free will. The Calvinist, I'm giving you the extreme examples, by the way. The Calvinist says you have no free will. You are unable to choose God. And he has to come and save you before you can choose to be saved. You have their alarm bells going on saying, well, that ain't right. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart the Lord Jesus, you shall be saved. So I don't understand. The Calvinist teaches with the five points of Calvinism that you are unable to find God. God has to come and pick you out. And because he's picked you out, you have the ability to get saved. But it's not really your choice because he chose you anyway. They call it irresistible grace. I don't want to get stuck because we can spend hours and hours going through Arminianism versus Calvinism. I can sum it up for you right now. How do you know that you're God's elect, that he's chosen you from the foundations of the world? You're saved. Believe in him. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart and you shall be saved. How do you know that you're saved? Again, Believe in the Lord Jesus, confess with your mouth, and believe in your heart. How do I know that the elect are the elect? Same way. You choose God, you know that he chose you. And if he chose you, you're going to choose him. Just choose him. No problem. I almost throw it down as a challenge. Because Calvinists say that non-believers, they can't, ever become, they can't become believers. Like you sh- Ultra-Calvinists believe you shouldn't even witness to people because you're witnessing to people that can't get saved. When Jesus said, go into all the world and to preach the gospel to the Jew first and also to the Gentile, I tell people, I'll say to them that are non-believers, I'll say, hey, do you know that there are people that say you can't get saved? And they'll say, what do you mean I can't get saved? I say, no, there are believers right now that believe that unless God chose you, you cannot become a believer. And then they get all mad. I was like, well, you can come become a believer right now and you can prove them wrong. And then they get all flustered because they don't want to believe. But at the same time, they don't want to be told what they can't do, right? Oh, it's fun. You should try it sometime. It's so simple to just have faith in God and believe in him. See, God's foreknowledge doesn't mean that he has chosen believers to go to heaven, but it also doesn't mean he's predestined non-believers to hell, because that is the antithesis. That's the opposite. If you're saying that he's only chosen a certain amount of people to go to heaven, predestined, then you're saying he has predestined people to damnation. That means he has created people solely for the purpose of judging and damning them. That is not the true and the loving God. Now, they, they'll argue with you all day long, and it's summed up very easily. When you wrestle with a pig in the mud, sooner or, reali- sooner or later, you realize they lie. It. Vain arguments, vain disputes, the New Testament warns. Listen, if you're not getting anywhere, just simply state your peace and then just continue from there. They'll use 
verses like this, according to the faith of God's elect, faith makes you elect. You're not elect and then given faith. Well, then, you know, the Bible says, well, in Hebrews, God is the author and finisher of our faith. Yes, but in John chapter 3, God so loved the whole world. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever, that word in the Greek, whosoever, means anybody who believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Not only, not only a select group of people, but it is only a select group of people that have chosen God. There are many who will not choose him, no matter what you say. This is not an end-all. See how you could just sit on this one part of this long sentence and just sit there with an anchor and just be like, we're not going anywhere until... Let's see the proper context. Let's continue. If I haven't confused you yet, give me some more time. I'll really get you confused. The faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness. You know, godliness is a way of life. It's your actions. It's your behavior. It's your the fruit of your life. The Bible says in the Galatians that we have the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Self-control, continue on chapter 5 and 6. And then it talks about also the works of the flesh. The works of the flesh versus the fruit of the Holy Spirit. If you have the truth of God in your life, you will have godliness the Word of God will transform you. As we were talking in First and Second Timothy, there is nothing that I can do as a pastor that is more effective than simply teaching you the Bible. Because the truth of God's Word transforms people's lives. It makes us more and more like Christ. The Bible tells husbands that you're to be washing your wives in the water of the Word in the book of Ephesians. The Bible says in Psalm 119, that his word is a lamp unto our feet, and so on and so forth. We saw in 2 Timothy that the word of God, used for correction, for reproof, profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now that every good work that back there in 2 Timothy, that's godliness. We all want to have more godliness in our lives. The way to do that is to have more of God's truth. The way that you had God's truth is to be his child, to be elect. The way that you are his child, that you're elect, is to have faith in him. You see how it all works together? Simply believe in God and, and follow him. Work in him. Paul's a servant. He's a slave to this message. But what is it all for? What's the, what's the point of all this? In verse 2, in hope of eternal life. In hope of eternal life. Eternal life. As Christians, we get, sometimes get so focused on our problems and our victories today, we forget to look up and see that the finish line, there's a goal. That this life is a race that we run to win that the best is yet to come. We have a hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. We have access to, to eternal life, the eternal life that comes from God, through faith, to be His chosen people, to walk in His truth, to grow in godliness, 
for our hope and eternal life. Paul is summing up our entire Christian walk in the introduction to this book, in the first sentence. Can you do that with your coworkers, with your, ne- with your neighbors, with your family members? When you are to share the gospel, can you sum it up in one sentence? Can you sum it up in two minutes? I think we can. We just don't spend, we don't spend a few minutes to write down our testimony in, on an index card where you can share it in 30 seconds or less. To share the path of salvation in 30 seconds or less. And then at the very end, ask, would you like to receive Christ today? If you knew that one out of 10 people you talked to, that you asked them, if one out of 10 people you asked them, they were going to give you a $100 bill, how many people would you ask? If you knew that if I had to ask 10 people, but on the dot, every 10th person is going to ask, is going to give me $100, man, we would be on the street. We'd be in the movie theater, at the grocery store. We'd be everywhere just like, give me a bucket because I'm going harvesting. I'm just going to. But we're supposed to be sowing the word of God. We're supposed to be sowing the gospel. Paul is a messenger. He's a sent one, a bondservant of God to go into all the world and to preach the gospel. doesn't mean you have to be a quote-unquote salesman. It doesn't mean that you go out there and you got to get numbers. just means, hey, can you share your testimony in 30 seconds? How many, I'm getting off the subject, but how many times have you shared with a stranger a movie that you watched that was interesting or something that happened or a newspaper article? You just drum up a conversation with somebody about a car that they're driving randomly. Uh, I think to myself, my wife would have only like a handful. She could probably count on one hand because she has a different personality. But me, I'm like, she's like, stop talking to these people. So to me, my number may be higher. So yours may be higher or lower, but it's so easy. Back into our verse here about this hope of eternal life that we should be sharing. It has this interesting thing that we don't really think about. And that's something that God cannot do. God cannot lie. It's impossible for him to tell a lie. It's completely against his nature. And in studying this, I heard another one that uh, I was kind of struck by it. The commentator said, did you know that you see something every day that God has never seen? And he had me. I was like, oh, what is this? He said, you're equal. God has never seen his equal. Everywhere we look around, I thought, man, that is the smartest thing I've ever heard today. I was so blessed by that. But there's so many things that God cannot do. So whenever somebody says, can God make a rock so big that even he cannot lift it? You should mention there are lots of things that God cannot do. Totally ignore that question. It's illogical and just simply a waste of time. But you say, you know what? That's interesting. But there's lots of things that God cannot do. He cannot lie. He he cannot see his equal and so on and so forth. But has in due time manifested his word through preaching, which was committed to me according to the commandment of God, our Savior. Again, there is nothing that we can do that is more effective for each and every one of us than the preaching and teaching of God's word. This word in the Greek preaching means proclamation. It's what you do when you just share the gospel. When we talk about Christ, when we come here in the pulpit and we speak the word of God, 
we're preaching. We're proclaiming God's word. And so if somebody, if you hear a guy up there and he's talking about fishing and he's talking about all building funds, that is not preaching. That is not proclamation of the gospel. Maybe entertainment, maybe funny, but it's not effective. Maybe entertaining, maybe funny, but it is not effective. There's one thing that is effective for you, for your family, for your life. That is the preaching of God's word, his truth. And it's his truth that leads to godliness. And it's a commandment of God. It is an order from heaven, from the almighty creator, to preach and teach God's word. And if you are a leader in ministry on any level, and the preaching and teaching of God's word does not come first, you are disobeying a direct order. Because the commandment of God is to preach and teach Jesus Christ, our Savior. In verse 4, to Titus. Oh, we're finally getting to the beginning of the letter. Man, there's so much stuff in one sentence. But we see here that Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this is God's word being written and communicated through him to Titus, a true son in our common faith. And there's two things I want to touch on in this verse. This word true son means uh, genetic son, biological son, my one true son. That's how close he identifies with Timothy and Titus. This is an intimate, a father-son relationship as you can have, and they are not father and son. That is just, that's the Holy Spirit. That's God working. And you've heard me brag on my pastor day in and day out for as long as you've been in this fellowship, but that's how I feel. I feel like he is, he's closer to me than my own father. I look up to him. I've watched him. I've watched him with his kids. I've watched him in the pulpit. I've watched him struggle. I've watched him pray. I've watched him preach. I've watched him teach. I've watched him coach his kids. I've followed him everywhere he went. I tell you, he loves the Lord. But there's one takeaway I have from my pastor. He loves the Lord, and it is the DNA. It is the foundation of everything he does. And if there's anybody that can expose Paul, it's Timothy and Titus. But his letters to them are so encouraging. You can see how much they care for each other on the pages. Just the way that they address each other in these public letters. These are public. These are for everybody to read. The second thing is this, which is super encouraging. Our common faith. This faith, this Christian faith, this faith in the Almighty God is the same faith of Timothy and Paul and Titus. We share the same faith as them. We identify with them. Nothing has changed. The Word of God will never return void. It will never pass away. Those are some other nevers to add to things that God cannot do. And we, we share this in common. There's so many things we don't have in common with the first century. Even the way we do church is different than the way they did in the first century. That's a good thing. When people say, oh, we want to be a first century church, I don't want any of you to drop dead because you lied to the Holy Spirit in here. And I definitely don't want any of you to fall asleep and fall out of the building and be dead and have to be resuscitated and brought back to life. That's first century church. And I definitely don't want you to empty your bank accounts and sell your houses and bring them here so we could collectively pass them around. That's first century church. 
But yet our faith is still the same. Worship the same God. The truth is still the truth. And we have the same common faith with those that are in Latin America, that are in Mexico, that are in Honduras, that are in Chile and Argentina. And they do church differently. The same common faith as the Middle East and the underground church in Iran and Saudi Arabia where they're hiding for their lives and concealing their faith. The same common faith in China and North Korea and India. All of the world, we have the same common faith, the same thread that links us to every believer that has ever lived and is ever going to live. We share the same God in common and he is equally interested and intimately involved in every aspect of your personal walk with him. We pray to the same true and living God through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to all who call upon the name of Jesus for salvation and only him, and only him. To Titus, a true son in our common faith. I share the same faith in the same relationship with my pastor as Titus and Paul did. The same common faith as Spurgeon did centuries ago. The same faith as Peter. The same as those that are in the house churches that I will never know their names till we're in the kingdom. Those that are being martyred today. There are those that are being stoned to death today for their faith. And we, have, we share all these things in common. What a joy What a blessing to be connected. And that's when you tie in the rest of this verse. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. This could solve so many things that you're going through right now if you would simply identify with it by faith. Listen to this. Do you want more grace in your life? Do you want more mercy in your life? And do you want more peace in your life? This is where you get it, and this is how you earn it. From God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. There's nothing about you in this verse. If you want more mercy, and you want more grace, and you want more peace, Jesus will hand it to you. He will give it to you from his works, not yours. Not only that, He'll give you the faith to receive it. You say, oh, I don't have faith to do that. He'll give it to you. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. He says a parable. He says, doesn't even a bad father give their kids bread and not stones? How much more so would your heavenly father give you? He has given you grace, mercy, peace by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. You see, I can't sleep. I can't sleep at night because I have all these fears and I have all these frustrations and I can't, I just, I can't. The, the world is coming down on me. Give it to Jesus by faith. You just simply pray the prayer, Lord, I don't have the faith. I don't know what's going on. I can't figure this out. I don't, I don't even know what to do now, but by faith, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to put this on the altar in front of you. I just pray that you'll do the work and just watch what happens and keep on doing it. Keep on coming to the throne and keep on putting it there. Paul would say that he must die daily and reckon himself dead to sin. 
reckon yourself dead to sin means that he had to, to th- actively think it through. I have to make a decision to be dead to sin today. And then he goes with the reason for all of the book of Titus here in verse 5. This is his thesis statement. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. We're going to go through the list next week. But Paul wants him to set things in order. The Cretans, those that are from Crete, are known for being in disorder in everything that they do. And the church, as we gather together, we are to do things decently and in order. How do we do that? What is the secret here to how things run so well? Is it our administration and our programs? No. It's the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. And as it conforms us and changes us, the people that you meet today in this sanctuary, including myself, especially myself, we're not the same Christian that we were six months ago or we were a year ago. We are completely different. And anything good in us is coming from the teaching and the preaching of the Word of God in Jesus Christ. Anything that's not so good, that's just the leftovers that God's still working on. But we rest in the grace, mercy, and peace of Jesus Christ as he sets things in order in our lives. Lord Jesus, as we spend this short amount of time sitting at your feet, we pray that your spirit would be moving through each and every one of us, encouraging us, refreshing us, topping us off, Lord, of that cool, crisp water. Because you said that whoever drinks of your water will never thirst again, Father. And boy, we are thirsty this evening. Just pray that we would be refreshed by faith this evening as we pray and intercede together. In Jesus' name, amen.